Turn your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter, we uh, we went through Philippians, and uh, the Church of Philippi was going to go through persecution, and I figured uh, it's the same thing in First Peter. Uh, they were about to go through some persecution at at that time, so I just figured we'd jump into that book. Um, but First Peter, um, these two verses, by the way, uh, in the very beginning, are pretty jam packed. So if you're there with me in First Peter. Uh, look at verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That's a whole bunch right there. You guys ready for tonight? You guys awake? Do you need to stand up and jump around or anything? Okay. All right. We're good. All right. Um, well, there's six things I want to go over uh, as by way of introduction or background uh, on the book of First Peter before we just jump into it. Uh, the first is, well, who wrote the book of First Peter, uh, this letter? Obviously, in verse 1, it's a giveaway, right? Peter. Uh, Peter is the one who wrote this letter, uh, 1 Peter, and there's a lot of talk about Peter. We could talk all day about just a lot of stuff about him, but I wanted to highlight five things uh, about Peter. Uh, first of all, he's a fisherman, and, and Peter was a fisherman with his brother Andrew on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee and in the, sea, the city of Capernaum. Uh, Peter was originally from the city of Beth, Bethsaida, and, and uh uh, which is north of Capernaum, according to Matthew 4.18 and Luke chapter 5, verse 3. And and a second thing we learned about Peter is, well, he had a spouse. He had a wife. Very interesting. Not a lot of people know that. But according to 1 Corinthians 9.5, uh, Paul tells us that Peter had taken uh, his wife on some some of his missionary journeys, which is pretty neat. So in fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, um, we're told that while in Capernaum, uh, Jesus actually healed Peter's uh, mother-in-law. So obviously, if he had a mother-in-law, that means his wife's mother. So yeah, right? There we go. So the third thing we learn about Peter is he was a preacher. Peter was a preacher. Peter is this fisherman guy uh, who is that ready, aim, fire type guy, right? He's the first to make any comments. You guys know anybody like that? Where there's just something happens and all of a sudden you just look at them and you know they're going to say something, right? That's Peter. He's that type of guy. But he became a preacher at the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, uh, when the Spirit of God had come upon Peter uh, powerfully, in a powerful way, uh, starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and on, uh, through uh, the he's just preaching on the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and 5,000, or I'm sorry, it was 3,000 that came to the Lord, about 3,000 it says, uh, were saved. And in another occasion, in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, uh, we're told that 5,000 came to the Lord in, in, in chapter 3. And so I'm not sure if that was, you know, 5,000 added to the 3,000 or if that was, you know, just adding the 2,000 to the 3,000. I don't know. Uh, but the point is powerful that the, the preaching of Peter in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ brought many 
to salvation, to the Lord. And it amazes me that we can just simply give the word of God and people just come to the Lord like that. It's just like, boof, 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 you know? It's, and all you're doing is just, you're simply delivering the word of God. And you're telling people about the good news, right? About Jesus Christ. And, and it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome, the power of the gospel. Um, the fourth thing we learn about Peter was he was a pillar of the church. He was a pillar of the church. According to Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 9, oh, there we go. Uh, it says, uh, well, basically, Paul had mentioned that uh, James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars of the church, basically. Uh, so speaking of the early church or the church in Jerusalem or the first century church, however you want to mention it, uh, very interesting. Uh, but the fifth thing we learned about Peter was he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice here in First Peter, if you're still there, uh, verse one: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So th- now, this word "apostle" um, it's used 81 times in the New Testament, and it simply means a messenger, right, or a sent out one. And in a, in a really broad sense, we're all apostles, right? Because we've all been sent out with the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, right? To go therefore and to preach the gospel, right? So we've all been, uh, uh, we're, we're messengers of the gospel, if you will, and, and we're sent to go and proclaim the gospel. So in a broad sense, we're, we're apostles. But uh, Peter was not an apostle in a broad general sense. In a very specific sense, he was an apostle, right? It was actually a specific calling on his life from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter was one of the 12 apostles. In fact, in four separate occasions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of Acts, uh, the 12 apostles are all listed. And interesting that Peter is always the first one mentioned, Interesting, huh? And, uh, or not. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. My wife likes to challenge me on stuff. She's like, oh, you think you know it all. Who's the 12 apostles? And I'm like, uh, and I'll name them, but I never get, you know, Peter first. So that's something I'm working on. So I got to learn that one. But now this Peter, he was not perfect in any way, right? In each way, shape, or form. Um, he had problems. You guys remember there on the Mount of Olives um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that uh, the religious leaders, they're coming to arrest Jesus, and, and, uh, and it was Peter who pulled out his sword. You guys remember that? He's, he sees the generals, right? The big soldier guys, and he gets his sword. He's all, nope. He goes to the other army guys. Nope. He goes to the, the guys carrying the weapons. Nope. He goes to the priests. Nope. He goes to the high priest's servant. Yep. <laughs> and then he goes after him, you know, he wants to chop off his head and obviously he missed and he hit his ear. And then you guys all know the story, right? Jesus picks up his ear, heals it, right? Puts it back on. But I get the picture of like, everybody's like, they just stop and they just get quiet and they're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why did you do that? Like, how come you... The, what did Malchus, or whatever his name was, right? Malchus, Malchus. What did he do to you? You know, he's just this, the high priest's servant. He should have went for the, and then I see Jesus in a sense. And it's almost like Jesus is like looking over at him like, Peter, I'm God. Are you really trying to help me right now? Like, seriously? <laughs> I think if there's a bird on YouTube where it's all, really? <laughs> and I, could probably, I could just hear that, you know, really? 
Are you serious? That just doesn't, I don't know. That's our, that's our Peter right here though. And you guys remember, uh, he denied Jesus three times that same night that he was arrested. He was betrayed before the, the rooster would crow. Three times he would deny Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, this is the Peter who stepped out on the boat and he began to take a few steps and then he just started drowning, right? And th- that's Peter right here, right? So, Friends, Peter was not perfect, but definitely he was used mightily by the Lord. And, and that means that there's hope for all of us. Amen? Well, a couple of us, right? <laughs> all of us, right? We're all, we're not good and, and I'm not perfect. And I think that's where God uses us. He, he sees the one who says, ah, look at me, Lord, look at my reputation and look at all my diplomas and look at all my resume. And, and then there's the rest of us who are like, Lord, you know, I don't really got much, but if you want to use me, then here I am. And, and that's who he wants to glorify himself through, right? And it's pretty awesome. But, uh, God's not looking for people who are perfect. Perfect, right? He's looking for, uh, obviously Peter wasn't perfect, right? So uh, what is God looking for? I think he's looking for those who have a willingness, those who are available. In fact, you guys remember in Isaiah uh, chapter 6 verse 8, uh, it says, uh, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. So there it is. God desires a willing and available heart, not a perfect person, right? And and I think that's pretty encouraging for me when I was going through this, where I was like, oh, Lord, I needed that. That was good. So the second thing we want to see by way of background or introduction, <clears throat> if you guys are still with me, it says, uh, what what is the key theme of First Peter? What's the key theme of First Peter? Well, it involves three things. Number one, suffering, uh, grace and hope. Suffering, grace, and hope. And these three topics are woven throughout First Peter all over the place. Uh, let me show you guys just a glimpse of a, a few of them. If you're in First Peter, look at chapter 1, verse 6. It says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now look down at verse 11. Searching what or what manner of Time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Look, look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Go to chapter 2, verse 19. It says, uh, For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, patiently, but when you do good and suffer, there's our word, if you take it patiently, then this is commendable before the Lord. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Look at verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, and that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And then look at chapter 4, look at verse 12. It says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And in fact, look at chapter 5. Go to verse 8. 
It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So there's no question about it. In fact, there's 16 times uh, in this letter the idea of suffering, trials, and tribulation is mentioned throughout this letter. So obviously it's a key theme. Uh, that's, it's just a reoccurring thing happening here. So uh but the, the good thing is, so is God's grace and so is God's hope. And obviously we don't have time to go through it, but there's, it's, it's throughout all of the letter of First Peter. So Peter is encouraging these believers who are suffering uh, persecution and eventually they're going to suffer mass persecution. And, and they're going to, and Peter's saying, hey, stand strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? They're, they're going through persecution, but guess what? Nero in 64 AD, you guys remember he burnt Jerusalem down, he broke burnt everything down, he blamed it on the Christians, started a big uh, persecution of the Christians, and he did some horrible stuff. He, he literally put them to the stakes, he burnt them on fire, he did horrible stuff, he cut their stomachs open, and they would, uh, they would you know, rip out, you know, your, your insides and throw a cat in there and t- just close it up and watch it rip you apart and I could go on and on but it's what ISIS does today right we've got the Muslim terrorist and and uh, it's exactly the same type of stuff but the Bible says don't rejoice in iniquities right that's the downfall of another that's that's when the, the hurt of another and and those who rejoice in iniquity that's that's exactly what these guys do and that's what Nero was doing back then and it was a sad time but what does Peter say to these guys he knows all the stuff that's happening or gonna happen and yet he says and, and to you too if you're a believer and there's persecution coming you know you know for sure there's persecution coming down down the, the road for you know your best friend or your family who's Christian and you're going to be the last person to talk to them what do you say to them obviously you're not going to say oh it's just nothing's going to happen everything's going to get better I mean let's just you know what are you going to tell them well this is what Peter told them he said be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus because that's their hope they were getting persecuted in all areas and Peter encourages them to stand strong in the grace of the Lord and that's how we rise up church right we we recognize what God did for us right the greatest demonstration of love on the cross right that sacrificial uh just his his love for us was just it was, it was amazing and so that led us to salvation and that continues to keep us right we continue to look back at what he did and we continue to look forward at who he is and we're continuing to grow and mature in that love and that's that's what we're we keep rising out of everything right so uh let me explain this a little further in first peter if you're there in chapter one look at verse three it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, look down at verse, uh, go to the 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought uh, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, in chapter 5, look at verse 12. It says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you 
stand. And so there it is again. Uh, he's encouraging them. Guys, you're going through persecution, I understand, but it's the grace of God in which we stand. He is our hope, right? And so like the believers uh, receiving this letter, we, we too, we experience trials and tribulation and persecution. But uh, we also need to encourage one another that in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And n- not just for eternal life, but the for e- we need God's grace for every moment of every day in our life. The right now, right? The today, we need God's grace because we already we have that assurance, right? As believers, our eternity is set by grace, but we need His grace today, and because that that's our living hope. He's Jesus Christ, right? And therefore, we are more than conquerors, and and we overcome all the suffering, the trials, the tribulations the persecutions, because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen? But And like the old hymn that we just sang, actually, they did a better job right here. So I'm a little tempted to sing it, but I'll read it. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, I love that song. I, I didn't I didn't even tell them about that, but it's like they knew. I don't know how they do that. But that was pretty cool. But let's look at the where. Where was this book written? Uh number three. So turn to first Peter chapter five. Where was this letter written? Are you ready for this? So you guys are gonna be shocked. It was written in well, look at look at first Peter five, look at verse twelve. It says by Silvanus, our faithful brother, uh, as I consider him, I have written to you. So he's writing this letter, but where is he writing it from? Briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And here it is, she who is in Babylon. Whoa, he's writing from Babylon right here. So uh, that's interesting. And then, by the way, it goes on, you know, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. And Mark's obviously the, the, the who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And then uh, Silvanius uh, traveled with Peter and Paul at uh, different times. So this was written in Babylon. And I'm not sure which Babylons. People are like, is it the one in Iraq? Is it the one? Oh, there's different, you know, Babylons. I don't know. All I know is it's from Babylon because it says it right there. But some say, oh, no, this is probably code for Rome. And and just like China, you know, if you guys have Christian missionary friends in China and they email you, they don't just say, hey, the Lord's doing this and the Lord's doing that. They say, hey, I talked to our, our father or dad and dad is doing a great work here. And, you know, so there's code words there. And so some people believe that uh, Peter is writing from Rome, but he doesn't want to write Rome. He just wants to put, you know, Babylon and that's the code, you know, unless they get in trouble. So. Hopefully I didn't get anybody in trouble in China. I hope they don't see this. But <laughs> Wow. Um, but uh, let's look at the fourth thing. The fourth thing we want to see by way of background or introduction is the when. When was it written? When was this letter written? Some say around 63 A.D. to 67 A.D. And, and most scholars say it was earlier before 64 A.D. because that's when Emperor uh, Nero, right, he would come and he started the persecution in 64 A.D. And, and uh, some say it was... 67 A.D. because Peter died uh, in 68 A.D. And that's when uh, 
he was going to get crucified, and this by church history we know, not in the Bible, but uh, he had a request and said, hey, I don't want to die like my Lord. I'm not worthy to be crucified like him, so crucify me upside down. And so we know in 68 uh, is when he was crucified, so they think maybe in 67, but so somewhere in that ball game is where it was. But anyways, um, the fifth thing is how. How is this letter divided? And it's divided into three simple sections. Section number one, chapter one, all the way to chapter two, verse 10, uh, dealing with God's grace and his salvation. And in chapter two, chapter two to verse 11, uh, chapter three, verses 12, dealing with God's grace and submission. And in section three is uh, chapter three, verse 13, all the way to the end of the book, right? And dealing with God's grace and suffering. So that's kind of how we're going to break it up. And uh, the sixth and final background introduction is the who, right? So who are the recipients of this letter? And this brings us back to First Peter. So if you're in chapter 1, First Peter, um, I've learned three things about the people uh, who received this letter. Uh, number one, they were... Well, notice in verse 1, they were pilgrims. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. Notice uh, this word pilgrims. It's only used three times in the New Testament. And it means sojourner, a traveler, a wanderer, uh, a stranger, if you got the King James. And <clears throat> Peter uses this word again in chapter 2, verses 11, where he says, uh, sojourners and pilgrims. And so it's the same wording there. And he calls them pilgrims. Um, it's because they they were going through great persecution and great suffering and great trials uh, at the time. And, and Peter is encouraging them because they, uh, he says, listen, pilgrims, right? Uh, you're just passing through. You're just passing through. And, and, and don't worry about all the persecution and the trials and, and all that stuff. And I know personally that when I go through a trial uh, or, uh, you know, through tribulations, if, if you will, it's easy to get your eyes off of the Lord, right? Hebrews 12, too. It's, it's easy to just not look to the Lord and just like, you know, I just want to veg out and watch TV or I just want to, I want to do this or I want to do that. And you get caught up in maybe work instead or you get caught up in, um, you know, relationships or you get caught up with family. Those are all good and great, right? I'm not saying anything bad about that. But understand when it, it's all going to fall apart. Right? And it's not gonna last. And what is gonna last is, is really our home. Our home is in heaven. Our eyes are on Jesus. Right? And, and, and although that all falls apart, it all stops, you don't stop. Right? If your eyes are on your family, if your eyes are on the things of this world, if whatever it is, right? Um, then, you're going to fall apart with it. <laughs> but our eyes, guys, our citizenship, Paul says in Philippians, is, well, in fact, it's right here, Philippians 3.20. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, family, no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter, you know, how tough it may seem, no matter whatever it is, right, whatever you're going through relationship uh 
issues or um, financial issues or uh, physical issues. Understand no matter what it is, we're just passing through. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims, right? We're not living for these things. Our focus is not on these things of the world. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. And and no wonder Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Very interesting. And the second thing that I have learned from these pilgrims is they are, according to verse 1, the dispersion. Notice that, the dispersion, the sporia, right? Only used three times in the New Testament. Literally, it means the scattered ones. And it's the same word in James chapter 1, verse 1, where it mentions the word scattered abroad. And, and the, the dysphoria speaks of the Jews, right? Having been scattered throughout the world. And uh, it was really cool when I took a little DNA test and it was like, you're part of the dysphoria. And I was like, wow, no way. It was actually like 3% here. And then there was another, I think, three about 3% um, there. And so it's kind of 6%. So I was like, yes. That was like the, the greatest part. I just put it down. I didn't even keep looking after that. I was like, okay, that's all I need to know. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, but... Realize they're, they're of the dysphoria, right? Of the, of the, the dispersed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you guys are dispersed because of your faith in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, the moment you came to the Lord, uh, all of a sudden your family and your friends and the people you hung out with, right? Your coworkers, all of a sudden they just turn their back on you like, like you're like, hey man, how's it going? Going good. Psst, oh, what was that? He just stabbed me in the back. Why did you do that for? Oh, what are you doing? And they, they just hate you. And why? They don't hate you. They hate Jesus in you, right? The world, the world is at their, their enemies with Jesus Christ. And if he's in you, you're a threat to them now. And, and you realize that, right? Your blinders were off. And when the moment you gave your life to the Lord and you came home, all of a sudden everything just changed. You're like, whoa. What is wrong with you guys, right? And you try to explain it to them and explain it to them, but they just don't understand. They have no clue what you're talking about. And then they keep doing it again and again. The more you you deceive yourself into thinking that you can still have that same relationship with the world or your whoever it is, right? And and you keep getting yourself hurt because you keep putting yourself in that same place. So I'm here to tell you, uh, it doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> we we have no fellowship with the world. The moment you gave your life to the Lord, and and it's sad to say, but it's it's true. We we we're not of the world. We're of the Lord, and uh, and that's how it is. So uh, now this, this they're dispersed, right? It took them to the region uh, called Asia Minor, is what we call it, according to verse one. All of these. Um, I don't know, what do you call it, provinces are located in Asia Minor. We would say modern-day Turkey today, right? So we got Pontus and Bithynia are located in the northern areas of Asia Minor, which is in Turkey. Then Peter mentions Galatia, right? And that's speaking of the central regions of Asia Minor in the, in the, the region we would call uh, Pasada, right? And, and which includes Antioch, uh, Lystria, Iconium, Derb. Um, so Peter also mentions Cappadocia. I don't know how to pronounce these guys. So if you're like, came back from Israel and you're like, seriously, did he just say that? He said cappuccino. Oh no. 
I've never been there, so I don't know how to pronounce these. But uh, speaking of the far eastern area of Asia Minor, so just north of the region of Cilicia, kind of where Paul, uh, he was, his hometown of Tarsus is in that area. So then Peter mentions Asia, and this isn't the general, you know, Asia, Asia, uh, but this is speaking of the far eastern uh, part of Asia Minor. So we would say... Um, or I'm sorry, the western region of, of Asia Minor, so they're in Turkey. So we would say, you know, Miletus, um, we would say Ephesus is kind of right there in that region. So uh, so back to what we learn about the people who got this letter, right? Number one, they are pilgrims. Number two, they are dispersed. And number three, they were and are elect. They were elect, according to verse 2. Notice in verse 2, it says, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. And this word elect is used 23 times in the New Testament, and it means chosen, right? And and it's the same phraseology that Peter uses in chapter 2, verse 9, when he says, um, this chosen generation, right? And you're a chosen generation. So let's look at this whole idea of election, right? Predestination. You guys ready for this? Whoa, some of you guys are waking up now. Um, so uh, people have different views to exactly what this means. And, and But don't worry, guys. Today, you guys get the correct view, right? Kind of, sort of, not really. Yeah, you do. I don't know. That's I learned four things about the election of these pilgrims being the elect, uh, according to these verses right here in verse 2. Um, number one, their election involves the foreknowledge of God. Notice in verse 1, uh, number verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So some believe that the foreknowledge of God, uh, it speaks of his omniscience, right? Obviously, God knows everything, and, and God sees the beginning, he sees the end, and, and he sees the knowledge beforehand that you're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And and so, what is he, he? He elects you, right? That's what he does, and he, he's, he chooses you, and, and he predestines you based on the fact of his foreknowledge of knowing that you were going to choose him, uh, and thus he chose you. Uh, so that's one view. This, the other view is uh, the foreknowledge of God simply speaks, well, yeah, the omniscience of, of God. It speaks of the fact that God knows ahead of time what you're going to do, and he simply lets you do it where he has no part of it, if you will. And so uh, obviously there's more details in all of that. I'm just being brief with you guys. But how does that go with election? I mean, why am I even mentioning all that? Um, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 4. It says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wait, when did he choose you? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Obviously, uh, the children of Israel are his chosen nation, right? His chosen people. Yet we Gentiles have been grafted in, if you will, and thus uh, we are adopted in that sense. So God chose you, God elected you, God predestined you. When he predestined you, <clears throat> not the moment you gave your life to the Lord, but the moment... 
he he created the world he predestined you interesting from the foundation of the world and it was all according to his will and and turn with me to romans chapter 8 romans chapter 8 to your left um god is in control of everything he lacks he chooses he predestines uh according, according to romans chapter 8 look at verse 29 It says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, uh, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified and so wow so is god in control or what obviously he is right does god elect yeah does god predestine yeah he definitely does jesus said in john 15 16 he says you did not choose me but i chose you and and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give you Now, if you're still there in Romans, turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Guess what? God chose you in spite of you. He didn't choose you because of how wonderful you... And I love you guys, by the way, right? Don't get me wrong. You guys are all dressed up pretty nice tonight. but, But he didn't choose you because of who you are, right? Even though you're wonderful. But uh, check this out. Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 10. It says, for this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, notice they haven't been born, nor having done any good or evil, notice that as well, that the purpose of God in his heart, basically, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Whoa! Before they were born, God predestined them and before the when when did he predestine them well before the foundation of the world we just learned right so understand while that is all true it is also true that you and i are also called free moral agents and and you and i have been given something called it's a wonderful gift it's called free will you and i have right and and according to romans chapter 10 verse 13 it says for whoever, whoever, notice the whoever part, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and in fact, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, whoever desires to come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But notice he didn't say whoever's the elect, right? Or uh, whoever, he said, whoever, anybody, it's an open door. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he says, he says, choose life, basically, right? And in fact, in Joshua 24, 15, you guys all know that one, right? Um, choose for yourselves this day and whom you're going to serve, you know, whether the God's over there, but but choose for yourself, right? It's a choice that we have. 
uh, to choose the Lord. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, uh, verse 1, uh, we see that if you diligently obey the voice of your God, then thus, you know, the blessings. And you can go on and read about all of that and what it is. But in Deuteronomy 28, in verse 15, all the way down, it says, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, then the cursings, right? All the curses that apply to you. Da, 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 da. And you guys can read the whole chapter. So thus, there is a choice, right? Clearly, you and I have a choice, and you can choose to be chosen. Did you guys know that? You can choose to be chosen. You might say, okay, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, if you choose to be chosen, then you're of the chosen. Well, how do I know if I'm not chosen? Or how do I know if I'm not the elect? Then just simply choose not to be chosen, and you won't be chosen to be chosen, right? <laughs> Did you guys get that? Pretty interesting, huh? So, okay, so God is, God is sovereign, right? And yet, yeah, at the same time, we have a free will. And, and you don't need to fully grasp this concept, by the way. I know, you know, I'm giving you guys free Bible college material here, and you guys, some of you guys are like, what is he talking about? But, um, it's all free too. Praise the Lord for that, right? Um, but if you try to grasp all this, your head explodes, right? it's it's just uh, it's hard to explain it's hard to understand uh i love it how chuck smith put it and uh kind of put things in perspective for me when i was trying to understand it but he said uh okay so it's it's like you guys are in a helicopter right we're all in a helicopter we're looking down and we see a parade down in the city we see the, the buildings and everything we can see the beginning of the parade, we can see the middle of the parade, and we can see the end of the parade. And and yet the people, the spectators, if you will, who are standing there, they only see what's currently in front of them, right? The here and now, what's happening right then and there. And that's all they see. And it's kind of like us right now in the here and now and the, the, the time that we're in. And yet God, he can see the beginning of creation, he can see the right now that's happening at our time clock, time zone. And then, but he could also see in the very, very end who's going to choose to choose to be with him, right? And so when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, okay. And then plus God is outside of time. So obviously he's God and he's pretty powerful. So, uh, it kind of makes sense, but it's hard in our human brains to really, you know, grasp uh, any kind of examples to kind of, you know, get to the mind of God. There's nothing on earth to uh, relate to God's mind. So it's really hard. But anyways, um, so you choose it, God sees it. There you go, right? Um, so back to First Peter. Go back to First Peter chapter 1. Uh, the election of these pilgrims involved these four things. The foreknowledge of God, number two, it involves the sanctification of the Spirit. The sanctification of the Spirit. Notice in verse two, it says, uh, in sanctification of the Spirit. And, and, uh, this word sanctification, hi, hi, oh, you guys can see it right there. There you go. I don't even pronounce. It means holy or set apart, right? Consecrated. And, and the point is here is simple. These pilgrims of this letter, uh, were set apart. They were consecrated. They were sanctified, if you will. And what we need to understand is their sanctification is not based on their performance. And sanctification is a work of the cross of Calvary. What Jesus Christ went through for you and I in his bloodshed. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, By that 
will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So friends, you and I are sanctified by the body, the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Sanctification is not a process. Uh, I understand you and I, we grow and we mature in Jesus Christ as believers, but the moment you are justified is the also the exact moment you were sanctified. You guys can read that in Romans 6 and Romans 7. But sanctification is a work that was done on the cross of Calvary, right? And Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And understand that it was all uh, an eternal um, position, basically. Hebrews 10.14 says, uh, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So our position in Christ is because Christ died on the cross for you and I. Amen? Amen, church? Amen? I'm pretty excited about that. But no wonder we, re- we read in, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is what? In your own good works. Nope, doesn't say that. Which is in your... Ooh, wait, in Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's all based on what he did and in who he is and not based on us. I, that's, ooh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I messed up yesterday already, right? I, I'm no, I'm not worthy at all. So thank you, Lord, that he, it's all up to him and his work and what he did upon the cross for you and I. Jesus said in John 10, 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So nothing can separate you and I from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing and nothing and nothing, right? Only Christ. And he's who sustains us, who holds us together. So friends, we're eternally sanctified and we are justified and soon we will be glorified, right? When we have our bodies and we see the Lord face to face. But notice it's in Christ, it's through Christ, and it's because of Christ. Don't forget that part. It's all about Christ and not about you. Some people get themselves themselves involved and they think that they can accomplish something for the Lord and they begin to uh, fall back on performance. And the whole point of it is in Christ. When we're not abiding in him, it's a scary picture. You guys can look at, uh, what is it, John 15, uh, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Uh, and I understand that Yes, we've been grafted in as Gentiles, but if if the branch is, you know, it's not bearing any fruit, it's not abiding, it's no good for nothing but to be thrown into the fire. And and so there's a scary picture for all of us, right? But let's come to the third thing I learned about the election of these pilgrims is obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith. Notice in verse 2, it says, Sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we already talked about the blood of Christ and our position. And because of that, we should be obedient to the Lord. And... Romans 1, five. I know I've, I've been saying this a lot, right? I love grace. So you guys are going to hear a lot about grace, by the way. If you guys are tired about hearing about grace, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what the Christian life is all about, though, right? We just rely fully on Jesus. So you're going to get it, whether you like it or not. But Romans 1.5, we understand that the only way we can be obedient to Christ is by the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't be obedient in and of ourselves. And so uh, the fourth and final thing that we learn about election of these pilgrims is grace and peace. Notice at the end there, verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So grace and peace, those are our our two twins, right, in the New Testament that never, ever, ever separate. They're always together, no matter where you see them in the New Testament. Grace, that's charis, right? 156 times it's mentioned in the New Testament. And it means unmerited favor, getting what you don't deserve. And peace, the irene, right, Uh, mentioned 92 times in the New Testament, and it means rest or or tranquility, if you will. And so know carefully that throughout the scriptures, you'll always see grace and peace. You'll never ever see peace and then grace, right? Uh, So why? Because you'll never, you can never receive the peace of God until first you've received the grace of God. And once you've received the grace of God, then you'll understand and know the peace of God because Jesus is our peace. In fact, in Ephesians, makes it very, very clear that Jesus Christ himself is our peace, right? And so what great comfort that must have been for these believers that are going through suffering and persecution, and they're going to go through all the trials and, and just literally the fiery trial, right? They're going to go through it. And Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And and uh, in fact, the peace Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, you guys all know this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And, and I want to leave you guys with this. John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so uh, I want to just leave you guys with that, right? Uh, that, that the Lord's got us. He knows what he's doing. We're his. And because we're his, we're his. We're his problem in that sense, right? And everything that comes our way, it's his problem. I don't know. Take it to the Lord. <laughs> we'll put you, put it, uh, nope, take it to the Lord. I'm his, right? <laughs> and whatever comes our way, he's going to give you the strength to bear it. And what a joy that's going to be, though, guys. I mean, think about it. Uh, you see the Christians today. What are they doing? They're not resisting, you know, these terrorists. They're, they're coming up and they're, they're walking. They're, they fall on their knees. They put their head down. They're singing to the Lord, right? They're worshiping the Lord and they're reminding each other of God's grace and they're reminding of each other about what God has done for us, right? His peace. And we're going to see him face to face and, and, and we willingly lay our lives down. You see, the moment we come up here and somebody, the government or whoever it may be, that they come up here and they lock us up in here and, and they start saying, okay, the real Christians, we want you guys up here right now. Ooh, then it got serious all of a sudden, right? I mean, tonight it's kind of just like, uh, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll even remember this message for the rest of my life. Why am I here? But, but wait until persecution gets real, and then you're gonna wish that, you know, you, you understood every message, and, and I'm glad we're in First Peter, and I'm glad, uh, Pastor Dwight's in the Minor Prophets too, because the prophets are crying. They're crying when they're talking. They're, they're, they're talking to the children of Israel, and they're weeping 
for them to just hear the voice of God, take heed to God's word, and that you might have life in that abundantly. And so these are just, it's just, it's awesome. And so I encourage you guys, uh, man, God's grace and God's peace, right? It's all about Jesus, and rest assured, he knows what he's doing. He's in complete control all the time and all the time, right? <laughs> Amen, church? You guys want to stand up? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, uh, for your word. And, and just uh, what a reminder, Lord, that it's all about you and what you want to do in your church, Lord. Who are we to say anything? We, we just pray, uh, God, that you would allow us to be available and just have that willing heart like Isaiah, Lord, and just here I am, Lord, uh, use me. And I pray, God, that you would uh, go before us, protect us, uh, and, and yet... Uh, give us the strength at that moment, Lord, to just lay down our lives. And we pray for those ahead of time uh, that they uh, would be forgiven of what they do, Lord. Give us that heart, Lord, just like Stephen when he was martyred. Um, give us a heart to, to just, that you said, love your enemies and pray for them. And uh, so we do ask, Lord, if there's anything that happens to us, uh, that that you would forgive those who are doing it, and they would come to you because of it, Lord, uh, because of our example in laying down our lives for them and for those around us. So we love you, and, and just thank you uh, that it's all about you, and, and I pray that you would continue to shake us up and make life just so so real to us, Father. Get us out of our mundane day-to-day lifestyle and get us into in tuned with your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.